Now I have the pleasure of introducing our speaker today. You might know her from when she sings up front with her beautiful voice. Or maybe you've interacted with her and noticed uh, her dynamic personality, her beautiful smile. She is a bringer of positivity. But what you may not know about Vanita is that she is also an ordained minister. And she is going to share with us today. So please join me in welcoming Vanita. Good morning, everyone. So as Sarah said, my name is uh, Vanita, Vanita Rodman Jenkins, and I live right here in the financial district with my husband, Todd. And uh, our first visit to the river was back in 2013. Uh, We have enjoyed this church tremendously, and it is indeed an honor to stand before you this morning. So I am overjoyed to be sharing today's sermon, which was partly birthed out of experiences that Todd and I had while living in Jersey City and then in Hartford, Connecticut, where we worshiped in a very special church started by the late Reverend Nancy Carol Butler. The church is called, wait for it, Riverfront Family Church. (laughs) See a theme there? And like the river, Riverfront is a place that is welcoming of all people from all faith traditions and all social identities. It is a community of faith that helps individuals connect with God, themselves, and others in a safe and brave space of liberation, encouragement, and an abundance of unconditional love. So during our time in New England, I was also connected to a dear friend and colleague, Floretta King, who actually trained me in my very first Safe Zone training. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with Safe Zone, Safe Zone is a training that helps schools and other institutions create inclusive environments for the LGBTQ community. That's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer. Since that time, she has also been patient with me and very supportive of me as I've stumbled, made mistakes, and asked lots of questions to ensure that my allyship is authentic and informed for this particular community. I am now responsible for for coordinating this same program for students, staff, and faculty of New Jersey City University, as well as the surrounding community of Jersey City. This sermon is dedicated to all of the people who have shared with me that they identify within the LGBTQ community, but no longer connect with their faith because they were told they couldn't own their sexual orientation or gender identity and have a relationship with God. This sermon is also dedicated to all of the people 
who identify within the community, but are still working in churches where they can be active, but not out. Those who are in churches where they are only welcome to be present and take up space, but not fully included. Finally, this sermon is dedicated to the life and legacy of Pastor Nancy, who taught me in numerous ways how to be a pastoral ally and a neighbor of the LGBTQ community. How many of you are familiar with Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Just a show of hands. Great. How many saw the documentary that came out this summer? Okay, a couple here and there. Well, that being the case, I'm going to play a little video clip for you. I'm going to take us down memory lane as I move forward into this sermon. Enjoy. Mr. Rogers. So this video is from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It was a popular children's show that ran from 1968 to 2001 with 895 episodes. I loved to watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The host was Fred Rogers, a performer, composer, author, an ordained Presbyterian minister, father, grandfather, and he was deeply committed to helping young children love and appreciate themselves. He also helped them to love others and essentially be a good neighbor. As many of you may remember, Mr. Rogers covered a broad range of topics over the years, and the series did not shy away from issues that other children's programming avoided. Today, we're going to be dealing with an issue that many communities of faith are struggling with or 
avoiding altogether. I mean, I get it. I grew up in a church that actually taught that God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and I grew up in a church that said that homosexuality was an abomination. So certainly I wanted to avoid the topic of LGBTQ inclusion for a very long time. However, in recent years, I've been able to come out by the grace of God as an ally, a friend, and a neighbor of this community, which continues to experience oppression and marginalization from within the church and without. In connecting with those who identify in this community, in my organizing, in advocating, and working to be a good neighbor to the LGBTQ community, I believe that their heart felt cry to you, to you, and to me. Sounds a little like Mr. Rogers. Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor? Therefore, I believe it is so important for us to be intentional about welcoming LGBTQ individuals into the family of faith. As we visit Luke 10 this morning, we're going to see Jesus bringing clarity to the law and once again flipping the script and making a counter move by getting this expert in the law to essentially answer his own question. Let's look at Luke 10, verses 25 to 37, and I'll read it for us. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring, oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So as a recap, we see in verse 25 that on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to actually test Jesus without, it seems, any indication of hostility. He asked a question, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The Jewish understanding of eternal life that he's referring to is a question about how do I live with God now? How can I experience God now? How can I live a life that is connected to God in a meaningful way? How can I live so that I experience his abundant joy, his grace, his goodness, and all of the beautiful things that flow out of being connected to him. So Jesus answers with a question in verse 26. What is written in the law of Moses, he replied. How do you read it? I don't know about you, but I was always taught to never answer a question with a question. However, in many cases, especially when I'm facilitating discussions on LGBTQ and other diversity topics, I find myself taking a lesson from Jesus and posing back questions to the individual or group. Well, the lawyer answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. You see, Jesus draws this connection between inheriting or receiving eternal life with this commandment. He said, and I love this, if you really want to live, not just take up space, but live, not simply breathe, but live in the here and now, then love God with all that you are, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do this, you will experience abundant life, that goodness, peace, joy. And this, my friends, is life in all its fullness. It's not earned but received, received in the context of love. And then the lawyer poses another question. Wait a minute, wait a minute, who's my neighbor? I feel like Jesus is actually saying, I'm so glad that you asked. And then he begins this parable, which Jesus did quite often, a story which illustrates a particular principle or lesson. This is the parable known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. So, as a recap again, there's a certain man who's on his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a stretch of roadway that was known to be unsafe 
as the surrounding desert allowed for easy escape and provided a secure place for hiding. So some robbers come along and attack this man. They strip him of his clothes. They beat him up pretty badly and leave him on the road half dead. To summarize, a priest who is a religious leader, part of the upper class, comes along, sees him in this condition, bloody, half naked, half dead, and essentially says, deuces. Passes by on the other side. Next, a Levite, a person who was responsible for serving particular religious duties, comes by, sees this man in this broken down condition and crosses to the other side as well and essentially says, I'm out. Next, a Samaritan. And this is significant because the Samaritans had strange relationships with the Jews. But the Samaritan comes by, sees this half-naked man, takes pity on him, treats his wounds with oil and wine, bandages them up, and then he puts him on his donkey, brings him to an inn, and takes care of him. He asks the innkeeper to look after him. He gives him some money, and he says, look, I will come back, and I will pay you the remaining balance. Jesus asked the expert in the law, who was the neighbor? The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. This parable caused me to ask, who do we choose to see? And who do we choose not to see or ignore? Who are the invisible ones? I went for many years choosing not to see the LGBTQ community. Choosing not to hear their stories. And it becomes very dangerous when we choose not to see people because we rid them of their humanity and we put them at risk for discrimination and for violence. I recognize that this issue is still a big deal in the church and is still what we're referring to as a disputable matter in the church, just like whether or not women should be ordained in the church and whether or not divorce is allowed, disputable matters. Pastor and author Ken Wilson, who's a friend of this church, talks about this topic in his book, Letter to My Congregation, An Evangelical Pastor's Path to Embracing People Who Are Gay, Lesbian, and Transgender in the Company of Jesus. And we had the opportunity to hear from Ken a couple of years ago right here at this church. And I definitely recommend this book. It's an excellent read. So there are certainly respected theologians who could 
deconstruct scripture and eloquently argue for their inclusivity. And those who could interpret the very same verses in different ways and argue against affirming the LGBTQ community in the church. For me, I personally have found freedom and joy in truly loving the LGBTQ community unconditionally. I thought that I was at one point, but I was really only skimming the surface. The more that I have connected with God on this issue, the more real my relationship with God has become. As I mentioned earlier, it has helped me to live life to the full. It hasn't been easy, though. I've actually had to take one for the team on occasion. People have distanced themselves from me. I've lost friends. I've gotten yelled at. I've had a finger pointed in my face in the process of advocating for those who identify. But if you feel sorry for me or bad for me, please don't. My husband, Todd, and I can walk down the street holding hands, showing public displays of affection without fear of being killed. Yes, killed. I can go to the movies and always see my heterosexual relationship positively reflected and represented in the storyline. I don't think twice about putting pictures of us in my office or sharing what I did over the weekend. It's safe for me. And the reality is, because it's a privilege, I don't even think about it. As it relates to social identities, though, newsflash, I'm still an African-American woman. Hey. (laughs) Who experiences marginalization on a daily basis, right? But I'm using my heterosexual privilege to create access and to give voice to members of the LGBTQ community. See, this was quite perplexing to one of my friends who was curious about my LGBTQ advocacy. Benita, I thought you supported black people, she said. (laughs) Well... What about the blacks who identify within the LGBTQ community? The reality is my liberation is connected to the liberation of other oppressed groups. My friend coined the term that I'm an intersectional advocate. I live when I help others live. As I share my personal journey of loving, supporting, and advocating for the LGBTQ community, I still get things wrong. But I continue to check in with people, to have conversations in a respectful way for clarification when I have questions and when I'm confused. I believe that if we are to love God with our entire being and then love our neighbor as ourselves, then we must ask God to help us truly see those who are LGBTQ. If we see them beaten up, by federal and local laws, asked offensive questions, forced to endure off comments, hurt, stripped of their humanity 
and dignity and left broken, then we do them a disservice when we pass by on the other side of the street. The emotional and psychological scars that some members of this group have endured and continue to endure are great. In addition, transgender women of color are suffering violence at record numbers. Let me share some startling statistics with you this morning so that you understand how serious this is. The Human Rights Campaign has reported that in 2017, advocates tracked at least 28 deaths of transgender people due to fatal violence, the most ever recorded. Sadly, in 2018, we've already seen 16 transgender people fatally shot or killed by other violent means. I would venture to say that most of us probably haven't seen this on the nightly news or on CNN or anything like that. But just so you have some context, people who are transgender are people who reject the traditional binary of man and woman. It's people who embrace a gender identity that does not match the sex sex that they were assigned at birth. Sometimes people use this term as an umbrella term, and other times people might claim it as an identity. Similarly, the term queer, which had been very derogatory at one time, has been reclaimed in some circles. It can also be used as an umbrella term. Word to the wise, though. Never assume that people identify a certain way without really knowing. It could be extremely offensive. All right, so I understand there are so many letters, so many terms, so much to try to absorb. It's just important that we respect people's identity, their name of choice, and their gender pronouns. And when in doubt, just ask. In preparing this sermon, I took time to reach out to a few friends within the LGBTQ community. The question that I posed was, what do you want church people to know about the LGBTQ community? Representing the T is a trans person who says, make sure our voices are heard. Don't just say God loves you, but let our voices be a part of the collective. Have faith and be met. Have the person be half of the person meet faith where they are at. Representing the L is a teacher who was dismissed from her church teaching duties when she was outed and word got around the church that she was a lesbian. She could no longer teach the children she loved in a church where she had a desire to develop a deeper connection with God. She goes on to say, just because we identify doesn't mean that we don't believe in God or have a relationship with God, she said. I still pray and read the Bible. She encourages those who want to be welcoming of the LGBTQ community to be mindful of certain comments and the many ways that we minimize identities. For instance, just pick a team when referring to bisexuals and you don't look like a lesbian, 
when they are cisgender, their gender identity corresponds with the sex they were assigned at birth. She said that sometimes the questioning is very difficult when people are trying to figure out if you're quote unquote normal. She says, we are the norm. Representing the L is a woman who talks about the hurt she experiences when people ask, how does that work? Or is that really a thing? It's a good idea to check in and ask what they need and not assume. It's always good to respect pronouns. When people ask, how did you know? She asked the same question. Well, how did you know? It is important to respect how someone identifies in the same way we would want to be respected. When someone is coming out to you, in many cases, they just want you to listen and be supportive. And finally, representing the G is a man who asked me to highlight the church's role in fighting oppression. From abolitionism to the civil rights movement, the church has played a critical role in restoring humanity to those who have been ostracized. Even Jesus Christ can be revered as a human rights activist. So like Christ, it is our duty as Christians to actively fight oppression and any threat to human rights. I say all that to say this, that while some Christians don't believe in overtly denouncing homosexuality, treating gay people and or their relationships as if they are any less value in the eyes of God is a form of oppression. And while they may believe that homosexuality is a sin, being a shepherd for oppression is a grave sin in and of itself. God may be tough on her children, but she would never oppress us, end quote. We must really see this community. We must affirm them, ask what they need, and continue to love them so that we can be good neighbors. While we make many assumptions about why the priest and Levi didn't stop, quite honestly, we really don't know why they didn't stop. What we can do, though, is take the opportunity to look within our own hearts and reflect upon who is our neighbor and who we're being a neighbor to. Let's take a minute to ask ourselves who we see and who we make room for. Just a couple of minutes. If you want to close your eyes, you can. You're in a safe place. So as we reflect upon who we make room for, I'm wondering if the LGBTQ community came up for you. If so, great. That's wonderful. And if not, I would encourage you to simply ask yourself, why not? Maybe you're on a journey and the road feels unsafe because coming out as an ally might be too risky for your reputation. Maybe you don't want to get your hands dirty. Perhaps you feel like this will make you too vulnerable. Maybe you feel death, death of your good name, death of some friendships, death of your comfort zone. As for Mr. Fred Rogers, his biographer, Michael G. Long, noted that even though he was known to include homosexual individuals among his friends and cast them on his show, at one point, he condemned gay marriage. 
We all deal with discrepancies and struggles. However, God still loves us and he calls us his own. Long said, at last, perhaps we should turn the camera lens toward ourselves and assure Fred Rogers that we like him just as he was. The opposite of machismo, a loving husband and father, a close friend and employer of gays, a man who grew to support at least one friend's desire for an openly gay relationship, and above all else, a compassionate human being who assured each of us that no matter who you are or what you do, we are always and everywhere lovable and capable of loving anyone just as they are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be able to affirm the LGBTQ community and their connection with you. We thank you, God, that we can live an abundant life when we stay connected to you. We praise you for the joy, the goodness, the kindness, and the unconditional love that flows out of having a relationship with you. We pray for each and every individual that's here. We pray for their continued blessings and that they would lean in on their journey to being open, that they would lean into your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being a guide. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you are to us. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>